0: Amen. Well, it is a privilege to have uh, Pastor Harley Snowd with us, and uh, he is a pastor of North Life Baptist Church in Worcester, uh, Ohio. And the Lord led him and his family there, and they started the church uh, there after he was on staff uh, at a church up in Michigan. And uh, then the Lord led him uh, back to kind of a ho- his home area. Uh, he was from Mansfield, uh, that area, and the Lord led him back to Worcester there to be able to start the church. And God's just continued to bless. Uh, The church there and then led him about a year and a half ago uh, into this ministry of counseling and started Inspire Counseling Ministries um, and just really trying to help churches and Christians uh, in this area. We're so thankful that he's with us this week and uh, yesterday we had a couple sessions and again if you weren't able to be here with us yesterday morning I would encourage you to go back. You can go back on uh, our either our Facebook page or YouTube or um, I'm not really sure where they put all of our stuff, but it's, it's out there somewhere and uh, you can go back and watch those yesterday. If you missed our session this morning at 930, we had a and a session where many of the folks from our church asked questions. They sent in questions uh, in a survey that he had asked them to fill out and we were able to address some of those and if you'd like to go back and listen to that, you can do that as well. But we're so happy to have him with us. Brother Harley, you come and uh, preach for us this morning. So glad you're here. I was able to go to school with Brother Harley's brother yeah. uh, at Crown. He and I were at school together. And uh, so it's neat to have uh, Brother Harley here now and get to know him. And, but just appreciate him and his ministry. Thank, thank you, Pastor. All right. Thank you,
1: Pastor. If we will take your Bible this morning, turn to Philippians chapter 4. It's our joy to be with you today and appreciate the uh, music and the worship and the fellowship heard a guy who said the other day, he said, I am not, I'm neither an optimist nor a pessimist because Jesus has risen from the dead. And uh, man, that song, Because He Lives, that's a great song, one of my favorite. And uh, appreciate that arrangement. Philippians chapter 4, we're going to look at verses 6 and 7. Appreciate getting to know your pastor. And a few of us guys went out and shot up the neighborhood yesterday afternoon. I guess that's a part of therapy as well, taking out our stress uh, on targets uh, as well as uh, the trees nearby, at least was my contribution but uh, grateful to be here today I, f- I feel I feel better I feel less stressful, so thank you for that gift and uh, I leave today uh, in a better place. so thank you for that um, it 's our joy to be with you today and this weekend. Just appreciate your pastor making this a priority and whether this is brand new to you or you 've been thinking and chewing on this for some time, I hope you'll appreciate uh, what God does in our hearts today. And this weekend and what he'll do through us as we influence and impact others. Um, the other day I heard someone who said this, when we see the church as a family, when we see we see church, we see what we're doing today and who we are in Christ, when we see ourselves as a family, the suffering, the wounds, and the trauma of others in the church become part of our story too. And so this thing we're going to do today of studying on wellness and God's truth is not just about those people and their problems it's about our problems. It's about our needs. It's about then how God meets our needs as we gather together, as we help one another, as we pray for one another. And I hope that would be the spirit of our time today, uh, that you ask God to work in your heart, if not just for your own benefit, also for the benefit of others around you. Philippians chapter 4, let's look, if you will, verse 6 and 7. Paul here says this, be careful. For nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. So there's the command. Notice now the promise in verse 7, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And so this morning we're going to look at this subject together, the gospel, the gospel, the good news in anxiety. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us today. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this, dear church, Lord, and just what you're doing here. What a what an exciting place to be this weekend to see your provision of this facility and campus and um, what you're doing in young people and senior saints alike and each of us in our walk with you. Pray, Father, that you would um, sanctify this time with your presence as we align with your word and as we um, are filled and guide by, guided by your spirit. Pray, Father, today that Jesus Christ would be glorified, that we would... Allow his strength and his power and his grace and his provision to shine, Lord, not just into the perky, joyful corners and crevices of our hearts and minds, but the most dimly lit, the most darkened um, areas, Lord, of our souls and our neighborhoods and our community. I pray, Father, that you would convince us that your gospel is still relevant, still powerful, Um, It's still effective, and uh, I pray that you would just move in our hearts today. I pray if there's one or more here today in the room or watching online that does not know you as Savior, pray today they would repent of sin and receive the gift of salvation found only in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. pray that you would move and work in our midst today. For your glory and honor, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. I don't know if you've observed as... um, you move through life, that the cause of your injuries changes as you age. Um, I remember as a child, I have two brothers, one who has been a missionary for 20 years in the UK, just moved back to the States, and then a brother in the Pittsburgh area. And the three of us, I'm the oldest, we would often, we homeschooled most of our growing up years. We would do our homework and then our, our schoolwork, and then we'd go out in the woods, the creeks near us, and play all day. And often we would incur injuries, that we didn't want mama to know what had happened. And so we would, you know, mom's at her normal post there in the kitchen, getting dinner ready, and we're trying to sneak upstairs, limping our way up the stairs so mom didn't know who did what to whom and how it all went down. I remember different reasons, fall out of a tree, get pushed by your brother, whatever the case may be. But I've noticed as I age that it's humbling the things that now cause injuries in my life. And the other day, someone listed a few of those causes that uh, I found especially humorous. So here are some causes for adult injuries. Number one, I slept wrong. That's all it took for me to have whatever, you know, chronic condition I now suffer from. Uh, Number two, I just sat down for too long, and that was it. That's all it took. I'm out now. I'm out of commission. And then this was my favorite one. I sneezed too hardly. I just just I sneezed um, throughout my back, whatever the case may be. Um, do you notice that as we move through life in our broken, fallen world, that often our injuries aren't just happening on our extremities or on our outside, but they're happening in the very core of our being? And One of the things I love about the gospel of Jesus Christ is that it speaks in a holistic way. It deals with every issue that we deal with, and it gives to us hope. It gives to us healing. It gives to us direction. And we find that in the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, if you look here in verse number six, you will notice that it says, be careful for nothing. Is there anyone here who doesn't have a handout today, but the shame's in the back? If you don't have a handout, if you raise your hand, he'll get that to you. All right, a few down front here. Thank you, brother. Several there on the right side. Um, notice in verse number six that he says, be careful for nothing. That word careful there has the following idea. It means to be anxious, to be anxious, to be careful, or to, here it is, be consumed with one's own interest. So Paul here says on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that we are to be careful or we are to be anxious for nothing. Now we're going to talk about some other aspects of our being and our mind and how that often contributes to the struggles we have with anxiety, But we're going to talk about certain levels of our being that only the gospel of Jesus Christ can answer. You do know today that there's parts of our beings that there is no prescription for. There are parts of how we function and how we operate and how we navigate challenges in life that no doctor, no clinician, only the gospel of Jesus Christ can meet those needs. So we're going to talk about the antidote, the helps that are provided for us in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the question today is this, how do we allow gospel peace that's promised in verse 7 to enter into our hearts and into our minds where we are most prone to be anxious? Let's talk about today two antidotes or two answers, two helps that the gospel gives us as it relates to anxiety. Number one, let's talk for a few minutes first of all about the anatomy of human anxiety. So let's talk about what it feels like to be anxious, what it feels like to go through this thing called anxiety, and to look at it through the lens of Scripture. May I say this as we begin today, just like depression, just like some other challenges that we face emotionally, anxiety is a symptom-based diagnosis. So it is, it is, it's something that is assessed. It is something that, that is assigned through a, an analysis of symptoms that we experience as a result of being anxious. And so here's the caution today. Much of how we assess and how we process anxiety is subjective. And one of the things that we need as we process anxiety is not just our own internal perspective or even the perspective of someone outside of us, We need God. We need Him to give us an accurate view, and therefore now the accurate uh, antidotes or helps that we need as it relates to anxiety. So let's talk, first of all, there in your handout you see, let's talk for a minute about being more recognizing of the human experience. How do we recognize when we as a human being are battling with anxiety? Um, I see a lot of young people in the room. I see a lot of families with young, uh, young people. It's awesome to see in this church. One of the things I'm concerned about, I have two high school sons, is the deconversion rate of our young people. You know what I mean by deconversion? Folks who grew up in a Christian home were under the authority of God's Word, and they're choosing to place themselves into another sphere of philosophy or belief. They're rejecting the faith. They're leaving the faith. And there are a lot of reasons for that, ones that are Uh, ones outside of possibly our control. But I would submit to you, one of the issues with our young people is they do not see the local church of Jesus Christ speaking to the whole person. We preach on spiritual issues. We preach on ecclesiastical issues. We preach on practical personal sanctification issues. But we're not preaching the fact, listen, that the gospel of Jesus has answers for everything. It has provision through the power of Jesus Christ, and so we're going to look at uh, how we can process the human experience uh, through the lens of the gospel. So I'll just give you a couple of introductory comments as it relates to the human experience to help you who maybe don't have anxiety to be more understanding toward it. First of all, it involves personal vulnerability. A person that's struggling with anxiety feels personally exposed or vulnerable, Um. And this would affect us, obviously, when we're dealing with anxiety, first of all, in our minds, psychologically. The best way that I've heard it described would be the mind off the rails. The mind's trying to go in multiple directions at the same time, worried and fretting and fuming about different threats and perils that pose risk toward that individual. Um, We've had in Ohio here, not on this side of the state, but several train crashes, right, recently, Um, and some of the effects that that has had upon uh, the communities there along those train tracks. That's the idea. The mind is just raging. The mind is just, someone said it this way, toxic scanning. I'm constantly looking for threats uh, in a way that is debilitating and hindering in our own personal well-being. And the idea here would be this. I'm not looking out for the benefit of others. It's toxic scanning for self-protection, trying to insulate and protect myself from any and all threats. Um, the illustration I would give that might help you process this, um, I'm a bit um, obsessive, okay? I would be probably clinically diagnosed as obsessive-compulsive. Um, I love things to be just right. Most of us pastors are this way. Uh, I've heard your pastor may lean just a little bit that direction, just <laughs> staff in the back going like this. Um, you, you may no longer be staff after that <laughs> hand gesture. Um but my son, Landon, is also shares some of these same values. And so I regularly will ask him, would you clean out my car? I'm getting ready to go out of town. And so he regularly will you know, vacuum it out. He'll wipe it down. He does a great job. And uh, he had done this just a few months ago. And I got into the car. At the time, he didn't have his driver's permit as he does now. Uh, and so I had pulled it out. He opened the doors. He cleaned it. I closed the door. I got back in. I was going to pull it back into the garage. And so I start the engine. And immediately the RPMs like just go through the roof. Like it just starts revving. And I wish I had video of my face when this happened. This would be, you would have wanted to see this. Okay. Um, and so for some reason I thought by putting it in gear, that was going to help. Uh, and so I put it in gear and then it's lurching as I'm riding the brake and it just, and every time I would like stomp, it would just, the RPMs would go even higher. Um, And I realized after a few minutes, I'd forgotten to cover one little thing in our tutorial of how to clean dad's car. And it was this, I have those plastic car mats, you know, the hard plastic, and I forgot to tell my son, make sure that plastic car mat gets under the accelerator, not on top of the accelerator. It was, it was raging. It was, it was, it it was, it was, it was going up through the ceiling. That's the idea of our minds where our mind just rages. Um, That's the, the symptoms, that's the experience psychologically of going through anxieties. Secondly, there's also the biological component of this. This would be where the soul and the body interact. One of the things that I find in counseling is it's sometimes hard to diagnose where the soul stops and where the body begins. And the body does affect how we feel, the body does affect how we think. Um, and so we have to identify where there are possibly physical sources to the anxiety that we are facing. Um, and so we can use, at times, physical helps and even uh, carefully medication, medical intervention uh, to help address these biological issues. Um, depression, for example, we talked about this yesterday, just simply being dehydrated physically can cause you to be subject to depressive episodes. So there are physical sources or routes that have to be addressed before we get to the spiritual. Now, just say this and we'll move on. I don't catch this vibe in the room and in this church, but there's some who would say that if a person is anxious or depressed, they're in sin. That assumption is always made. That's a 100% statement by some. They would assume if you're feeling anxious, as we're studying this morning, then you yourself are personally choosing uh, to sin. And can I just say to you, there's at least one exception to that narrative. And his name is Jesus Christ. Um, If you look in the Garden of Gethsemane, I think you see the profile of sinless depression as he is pressed. We studied that yesterday. When you look upon the cross as Jesus hung there between heaven and earth, and he cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? A perfect profile of anxiety. So at least it's possible... To experience anxiety without it being personally sinful in your life. In fact, your pastor brought up yesterday, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, that our high priest, Jesus, was in all pen, points tempted as we are. What? Yet without sin. Like as we are, yet without sin. And so Jesus Christ experienced this thing called anxiety. Now, before you get nervous with that, let's talk secondly about personal responsibility. Though the anxiety itself may not be a choice that we make that is sinful, what we do now in response to that sensation, to that experience, is our personal responsibility. Now, we're going to look at Philippians 4 in a moment and give you some practical steps of how to process and resolve um, anxiety through the lens of the gospel. But in Philippians chapter 4, it's full of... This is the chapter that says, be careful for nothing, be anxious for nothing... Command after command after command after command. And so there is now for each of us an area of personal responsibility. One of the symptoms that's most connected to and and kind of blended with anxiety would be a term called panic attacks. Have you heard of that term? Maybe some of you have experienced what would be called clinically a panic attack. Um, I list just some of the symptoms for those that may may not be familiar with it. Heart palpitations, I regularly hear this from counselees. Sweating, trembling, shortness of breath, the feeling of being smothered, feeling of being choked, uh, abdominal distress, feeling of being dizzy, lightheaded, faint, derealization, chills, hot flashes. These are the kind of things that just feel like they just attack a person. When you hear the word attack, it almost feels like I'm only a victim, right? Right? And one of the things I've found is I've helped counsel these diagnose where did this panic attack come from. Not always, but often it's the result of a cyclical thought that begins to build in their head and in their heart. Choices they made to give into a fear, to give into something that was untrue. And as that began to build, it led to these physical symptoms that feel like an attack. And so, yes, we live in a broken world and things that happen to us may not be the result of our own personal sin. But what we do with it is still our personal responsibility. Paul here says in verse 6, Be careful, be anxious for nothing. That's a command, brethren. A command that we are personally responsible with God's help and his gospel to honor him by obeying it. One doctor said this, If your emotions change because of anything, that thing controls you. Paul just said, Be careful for nothing, right? If, if your emotions change because of anything, that thing controls you. Your spirituality, your values, your ethics, your beliefs, your health, your reality, and every cell in your body. And then here was his admonition. Here's a doctor. Regain your emotional autonomy. Choose to own the things that are in your life. Not just the good things, but the challenging things that you're facing. And so we are responsible to identify our anxiety We're responsible to take personal responsibility for it. All right, number two. So first of all, we need to recognize the human experience. Number two, we need to remember the heavenly perspective. This morning, as I'm in this room and you're in this room, because of God's Word, we can actually view anxiety through the eyes of God. How how does God this morning see anxiety? How does He see it differently than us? How does He view it uh, through His redemptive lens, His purpose, His mission, uh, for this life. Several months ago, uh, in fact, this would have been last, almost a year ago, we were out in Colorado, uh, Colorado, um, specifically in the uh, Colorado Springs area. And there is a, um, there's a place there called the Garden of the Gods. I don't know if any of you any of you been to that place, all right, several of you. Um, it's an amazing place. It's kind of at the base of Pikes Peak, would probably be the thing that folks even that haven't been there are familiar with. And you have these rock formations, and you can, you can register to go on a, a face climb. You would see people climbing up the face of these cliffs. Just a beautiful area. And what was humorous to my wife and I, we had just a few hours to drive down between some of our counseling things, was they were taking pictures. There were weddings being done on these beautiful rock formations. And we couldn't help but laugh, you know, proms and formals and weddings. We in Wayne County, where I'm from, we take pictures in front of barns, okay? (laughs) And I would guess maybe here that's probably similar. Uh, We don't have some of the vistas and the backdrops that they have there in Colorado. You know, if we're honest, a lot of times our view of things is very narrow, especially these kind of experiences called anxiety, instead of seeing this from God's broader perspective. I want to give you just real quick a history of anxiety that I hope will help you see it through the lens of God. Let's go to Genesis chapter 2. Can we talk first about the first garden? Let's go back before sin, and let's talk about where anxiety came from. Genesis chapter 3, the gospel always has to include the broader perspective. Genesis chapter number uh, 2, and let's look, if you will, at verse 15. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 15. So before the fall, we had mood order. Before the fall, everything was perfect. Don't you wish we lived in that place today? I know I do. We could stop spending so much time talking about our brokenness and challenges, and we could just walk with God in the cool of the evening. I wouldn't mind swapping out uh, where we walk and how we walk in the current for that. But we see mood order before the fall. And here's the idea I'd like you to think about. Every mood that we have, has a redeemed version, so if sin distorted and twisted good things into bad things or difficult things, then what is the what did God intend our tendency to be anxious? What did he intend for that to be before the fall? Look here in Genesis chapter two and verse fifteen. This is a great thought that I think takes the shame out of our anxiety instead helps us to see it through god 's perspective and the Lord God took the man Genesis 2:15 and put him into the garden of Eden notice this to dress it notice this and to what keep it the word keep this found there has the idea of guarding protecting to be vigilant Adam's job was not just to take care of the garden it was to protect the garden that he abdicated in chapter 3 right his job was to protect and to guard And so I would submit to you today that our tendency to be anxious and vigilant about self and in a fearful way, God originally intended it to be vigilant. So here's what anxiety does. It turns us from from sentries or warriors into worriers. Instead of guarding and protecting with this emotion we have, we worry, we fret, we stew where we should be standing faithful as a guard. Now, go to chapter 3. Let's talk about after the fall. Again, all of this is to set up our practical takeaways that we'll come back to in Philippians chapter 4. Chapter 3, and look, if you will, at verse number 6. The woman saw the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes. The tree was desired to make one wise. She, here it is, this is the fall, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat. Notice this, here's Adam, the one who should be keeping and guarding, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. Now, notice the first consequence of the fall. Go down to verse 10. And he said, this is God, who he's hiding from, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was, what's the next word? Afraid. Afraid. The very first manifestation of the mood disorder was the mood or the emotion of unhealthy fear that separated man from God. And so the lack of vigilance, the lack of guarding led us to this place we find ourselves today of living under the fall. Now, that's the bad news. Let's talk for a minute about a second garden that we studied a bit yesterday, the Garden of Gethsemane. At the cross, we see mood reorder. So I'm giving you just these quick points this morning. I hope you're tracking with me there on your outline. In the second garden, we see uh, at the cross mood reorder. When you contrast Jesus with the disciples, you have the, you have the disciples who are fearful, right? First you have Peter swinging the sword, there's fight. Then you have Peter uh, fleeing, there's the flight, the fight and flight manifestations of anxiety. And yet what is Jesus? Just resolutely surrendering to the will of the Father, courageously staying on mission, what God the Father had assigned to him. That's what the cross has given to us, access to that same uh, commitment and consecration to the will of the Father. Somebody sent me a song recently, and in the bridge of the song, the refrain of it is this, I don't know what you're doing, but I do know what you've done. And can I tell you today, I don't know everything God is doing. I don't know where he's leading in every specific way that often does produce fear if we're not careful in our hearts, but I know what he's done. On the cross, in the garden, he has given to us the good news of the gospel. It is complete, it is finished, And our moods can be structured and ordered by that which God has done. And then lastly, by way of kind of setting the table for our understanding of anxiety, let's talk for a minute about eternity. So that which has yet to be resolved, we who know Jesus as Savior, what is God going to do in the the future? And that would be this, mood healing. He's going to heal us. He's going to free us. He's going to liberate us from all that emotionally we struggle with in this current life. And may I just say to you today, we are, we are unwise to expect this life to deliver on certain things that God has reserved for eternity. We chafe under the reality that we're in this already, it's true, but not yet is it fully fulfilled. And so our anxiety often is simply not surrendering to that patience, that confidence, waiting for God to resolve all tears and sorrow and pain and suffering. One day, all of it will be eliminated. So here's the profile we have in this fallen world. God, you've yet to eliminate anxiety, and yet I know what you plan for it to be, and I'm waiting upon you to fully free me and resolve in my life the anxiety that I'm facing. All right, go back, if you will, now to Philippians, and let's spend the balance of our time looking at some practical answers. So we talked, first of all, about the anatomy or the profile of human anxiety. Let's talk for a few minutes now about the answers we find exclusively in the gospel. Um, I would assume in this part of the country that you guys spend a bit of your time outside. I love to be outside. Um, I enjoy that. enjoyed yesterday the fellowship with some of the men of the church. Um, I was reading a study the other day that said that the average American spends 93% of their lives indoors. Like, doesn't that make you want to just like run out of the auditorium and like pick up a backpack and go hiking just to be the exception to that? We, in a, we, we spend it in a car, in a house for you moms with young kids, probably hiding in a closet sometimes. I mean, I don't know, where, we're, but, but we're inside. And here's the thought with anxiety. A lot of our anxiety is fueled by and not fixed because we live inside of our own lives. We can't see beyond it. We can't see the bigger picture. We can't see it the way God sees it. And much of the secular counseling, as well-intended as many of those folks are, their thinking is that we can self-assess and fix our problems. When I would gently remind us today, we are not the source of our solutions. We are the source of our problems. (laughs) We are the problem, whether this is an anxiety or another uh, challenge that we face. And so we need a perspective outside of ourselves. One preacher said this, the goal of preaching is to take people away from themselves as the instrument of healing. Before you can avail yourselves of what we're about to talk about, you have to come to the end of yourself. Whether that's to be saved this morning, whether that's to be sanctified, whether that's to be healed, whether that's to be comforted, you have to look to someone outside of yourself. And that person and that presence and that provision is found in the Lord. So let me give you three practical steps that Paul tucks into this chapter that help us be able to obey the command, be careful, or be anxious for nothing. And I hope you'll follow along with this and seek to implement this in your life even this week. Number one, commit to God-given relationships. So these three steps help, uh, help us to allow the gospel to free us, to sustain us, to help us in the face of anxiety, commit to God-given relationships. And there are two areas of this, first of all, vertically with God himself. Go back to our text there and look, if you will, at verse number five. It's interesting that God, this command he gives of be anxious for nothing, he sandwiches it between two reminders of God and our access to relationship with him. Look at verse five. He says at the end of verse five, the Lord is at what? Hand. He's close to us. That's the words he says right before the command, be careful for nothing. The Lord is at hand. God is accessible. God is close to you, taking advantage, taking full advantage of that privilege. Notice the end of verse 9. So he says back in verse 7, the peace of God will be with you. But notice in verse number 9, he says, and the God of peace shall be with you. So the answer to our anxiety is not just peace, it's the God of the peace. And it's being, listen, it's being in close proximity to Him. Some of our anxiety, not saying all of it, but much of our anxiety is because there is a disparity between us and where God is. There's a gap, there's a chasm, and into that creeps fear, into that creeps worry, into that creeps anxiety so when anxiety strikes, we're tempted to accept a distorted view of God. He doesn't care. He doesn't know. He's not close and available. And remind you today, God is everywhere, including the most anxious moment you've ever lived, the most anxious place you've ever existed. God is there. He is close to us. I heard a guy say this recently. He said, I've seen this to be true over and over in my life. In grief and suffering... And anxiety as well. Those who run to Jesus get better. Those who run, run away do not. We've got to run toward God. We've got to run toward his gospel to find the comfort and help that we need. It's a relationship with God. Then notice the horizontal field. Go back to verse number 2. Uh, You ladies, wouldn't you love to have this little spat included in Scripture for all of eternity? Look at verse 2. I beseech Eodius and beseech Sintichi that they be of the same mind in the Lord. Number two, relationship with other people that God has put in our lives. Relationship with God. Number two, in relationship with God's people. Verse 5, let your moderation, that has the idea of gentleness, let your moderation or your gentleness be known unto all men. So our Our horizontal relationship with others also helps us deal with anxiety. Research says that more than three in five Americans report being chronically lonely. We talked about that in our Q&A today. And that number, as most studies would bear out, is only on the rise. It's interesting. Anxiety, depression, suicidal thoughts are also on the rise. Interesting. The article went on to say, Scientists now warn that loneliness is worse for our health than obesity, Smoking, lack of access to health care, and even physical inactivity. Loneliness is lethal because when we're alone, we're left with our thoughts and our emotions, and they tend to get a little kooky, don't they? They Tend to get a bit off. We need to be around the brethren, refining and encouraging one another as we face our fears. Um, I don't have time to read them, but just I'll give you a few commands earlier in Philippians. So Paul over and over says, one another, one another, one another, that all is building to Philippians 4 and verse 6. Jot down these references. Chapter 1 and verse 4. Chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. Chapter 1, verse 27 and 28. So in chapter 1, he talks about one another, one another, one another. In chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. Verse 19 to 24. And then in chapter 3 and Verse 17. So he says over and over, one another, one another, one another. These horizontal relationships help us fight the fears that we face. Um, It's interesting in 1 John that John says there, perfect love casts out what? Fear. How do we perfect our love if we're alone? Perfect or mature love, the kind of love we develop together, it casts out, it displaces the fears that we are all prone to. And so relationship with God's people fights against the fears that are fed when we're alone. Um, I have noticed that antisocial people tend to have more anxiety. Whether that's they feel like is of their choosing or not of their choosing, we must lean in when others possibly are leaning out. We need community with God. We need community with those he's put in our lives. And I just, as I look around this room today, you do realize that God has brought this congregation together with all your unique backstories and hiccups and missteps and even your brightest moment that you feel like you have in your life. All of it has brought, God put this, has put this church together. And this is marvelous in his eyes, but it's not meant to just Let the world out there see what this church is doing. When we gather, we gather to connect and to push back against the fears that are creeping into all of our hearts and minds as we sing and we study and we serve in relationship with God's people. All right, number two. So the first step we take to avail ourselves of the gospel provisions that God has given to us as we commit to God-given relationships. Number two, jot this down. Meditate on Christ-honoring thoughts. Meditate, get your mind and your heart to meditate on that which is Christ-honoring thoughts. I was reading the other day a man who was talking about camping. We talked about getting outdoors, and he was using the analogy of a ground pad. I don't know if you ever have camped, but a lot of times ground pads, if you're not someone who hikes or camps regularly, you think that's only for, um, just for the softness to give your body something to lay upon but there's a deeper reason to have a ground pad under you when you're camping. And the author was kind of applying this to our own stewardship of our bodies. He said, when camping, backpackers use a ground pad, not as much for the softness, listen, as it is for the insulation. Without it, our tiny bodies would attempt to warm the cool planet of planet Earth and in the process, chill us. And can I tell you today, our thoughts, listen to me, often are not insulated enough from the chilling effects of this world. This world is in a full-throated panic, isn't it? And often our thoughts, we do not have in our lives the insulation, the the separation, if you will, that we see described here in Philippians chapter 4. Victory over anxiety, even God's grace in the midst of it, is by insulating our minds against wrong thoughts, false thoughts, fearful thoughts that are not aligned with the Lord. And notice two areas of thoughts that he encourages us to have to push back. Look at verse 6. He says, Be careful for nothing. And I'm glad he doesn't end there. He gives us a way to do that. But in everything, here's the positive, here's the proactive way to handle it. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. First, our thoughts have to be thoughts of prayer. Our thoughts, as we process anxiety, Have to be prayerful. Somebody said this anxiety is what happens when we pray to ourselves. In fact, I would say to you, anxiety typically is just praying to ourselves, it's talking to ourselves about things that God has never heard about from our lips. Prayer is a way to process even our fears in a way that is proactive. So our thoughts need to be thoughts that are prayerful. And he lists four different ways of praying there in verse 6 that we don't have time to study today, but thoughts of prayerfulness. And I'd like you to notice the very end of verse 6 where he says, do all this stuff, notice, notice this at the end of verse 6, let your requests be made known unto God. Now, here's my question to you, does God already know what we got going on in our hearts and heads this morning? He does, right? So then why are we praying to a God who already knows how we feel and think? Here it is. It's so that we will know that he knows. See, I think today we honestly, our anxiety exposes that. I think we think God's fallen asleep at the wheel, that he's not aware of the things that we're worried about today and burdened by and challenged by. And can I assure you today, God is still on his throne. He's got this whole thing well in hand today. And our anxiety exposes where we don't truly believe that. And what prayer does is it reminds us, yep, he heard from me again today. And now I know that he knows. It reminds us uh, the fact that he knows even our deepest concerns. And so we need to come to him with thoughts of prayer. Verse 7, he goes on. Here's the promise. And the peace of God, which passeth all what? Understanding. There's our mind again. Our thoughts shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And so Paul here doesn't say anything's even going to change. He doesn't say any circumstances are going to change. All he says is now God's guarding you. Now God is keeping you in the midst of that internal turmoil and the external stresses in your life. God is now in control. And so thoughts of prayer allow us to remember that and to take full advantage of that. Um, I don't know how you end your prayers, how you start your prayers, but typically our prayers end with what? In whose name? In Jesus' name. Did you notice the end of verse 7? Who keeps our hearts and minds? Jesus. Jesus. Now, what little word did we just read back in Genesis chapter 2? What was Adam's job to do? It was to do what? Dress and what? Keep. Keep. Now, it's a different word here in the Greek than in the Hebrew, but you know what's interesting is unlike the first Adam who dropped the ball in guarding, Jesus never will. And prayer in his name reminds us of that. In the name of Jesus, we know that we are kept, we are guarded, we can let go of sinful anxiety. All right, look at verse 8, and we see a second area of thought. That we're to have to fight and to combat and to navigate anxiety. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, here it is. Think on these things. Number two, not only thoughts of prayer, thoughts of worthiness, thoughts that are worthy thoughts. Um. I. I would submit to you the blight of our day is just stream of consciousness. We just kind of let our minds just wander in whatever direction. And those thoughts never tend to gravitate in a positive way. We need to arrest our thoughts and direct them where God wants them to be. Now, when you read verse number 8, where do we go to find those kinds of things? Things that are true, things that are lovely, things that are good report. Right? Read read Psalm 19. There's so many parallels to, to Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8. We're to think on the Word of God. Thoughts that are tested by and sanctified by the standard of God's Word. If you don't fill your mind with the Word of God, anxiety and all of its close kin are going to fill your mind instead. Are you memorizing? Are you meditating? Are you dwelling upon the Word of God? Are you just soaking it in and stewing on it? That's the answer, that's the antidote to anxiety. One author said this, a tough truth, but so true. Worry reveals that we are mastered by our circumstances instead of God's Word. Mastered by our circumstances instead of by God's Word. And So allowing thoughtful words that are worthy through Scripture, prayerful words to check our anxiety. All right, let's end today with a third step. Number three, jot this down. So number one, we commit to God-given relationships with the Lord and with others. Number two, we meditate on Christ-honoring thoughts. Here it is thirdly, engage in spirit-applied actions. Engage in spirit-applied actions. Now, before I show you this next picture, here's the caption to this picture, and then the guys can advance the slide. The doctor Here's the caption. The doctor asked me to spend at least one hour per day on the treadmill. Okay, so that's the instruction, and then here's the picture. I mean, I mean, technically, he's doing what the doctor said, right? But there's no action. Can I tell you, that's often our relationship with God's Word. We're, we're resting on the promises. We're sleeping on the promises. We're just kind of holding, but we're not doing it. And here's what I have found. Listen to me. Inactivity feeds the monster of anxiety. Anxiety and activity are the antithesis of one another. And here's my question to you. Where are you not just not praying and thinking on God's word? Where are you not doing it? Action uh, is what leads us away from fear and anxiety and toward fellowship and favor from the Lord. So notice two things here about this action that Paul admonishes them on. Look, if you will, first of all, at verse 9. He said, those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me. Notice the next word. What is it? Do. Do. Then verse 10, he says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me has flourished again. These that he's instructing to not be anxious, wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. Let me give you two actions that will help you with anxiety. Number one, actions that are selfless. Thinking about others when you're tempted to worry about yourself. Um, helping others, serving others, even protecting others, making it about others in your actions as opposed to yourself. If you were to ask me when is someone healed from anxiety, I think ultimately the answer is heaven. But in this life, when is someone at least beginning to heal from anxiety? Here it is: when they still feel fearful and anxious, but they're but they're serving others. I, I'm still not real comfortable with where things are going, and I have some some question marks in my emotions about where this is all going. But I have a place to serve today, and I have people to serve in my home, in my church, in my community. And so I'm going to be selfless in my actions as we see Paul admonishing the Philippians. All right, then verse 13, lastly, he says this, I can do, there it is, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Number two, actions that are confident. Actions that are selfless. Number two, actions that are confident. Paul developed a can-do attitude, and because of that can-do attitude and spirit, can you imagine the anxiety Paul must have navigated? Shipwrecked stone, constantly in peril, perils in the deep, as we studied yesterday, perils of robbers. He had all these things that could have fed his fears, but instead he said, I can do all things. He developed a can-do, confident uh, spirit through the action that he was engaged in give you just a quick resource that might be of help to you. It's called this. It's a 31-day devotional I found to be very helpful for me as well as those I counsel. It's called Anxiety Knowing God's Peace is the name of the book, Anxiety Knowing God's Peace, and it's a 31-day devotional that just slowly works through different aspects of anxiety through the lens of Scripture, a great biblical counseling resource, Anxiety Knowing God's Peace. Hope you pick it up or share it with those that need it uh, in your life. As we finish today, I want to give you just a statement. I hope you'll write this down. I think this is where I have been wrestling with this and learning in this in my own walk with the Lord. Because I, I don't know about you, most of my anxiety is not just about the present tense, it's the future. Like I have, I have kids, I have two sons, and the world is a different place in their high school years than it was mine. And many of you ahead of me, you could share much more than I can. I don't like how things are trending. And specifically, the future often is what feeds my anxiety. Um, And I read this statement. It's been so helpful to me. Maybe you would jot it down as well. I think a true statement. Somebody said this, our anxiety comes not from thinking about the future. Jot this down. Our anxiety comes not from thinking about the future. Here it is. But from wanting to control it. So our anxiety comes not from thinking about the future, but wanting to control it. And who alone can both handle the thoughts about the future and controlling the future? God. Much of our anxiety, I must love on you today and say this as we preachers do, is a God complex. We are trying to shoulder things that our shoulders are not broad enough to handle. It's not just knowing the future, it's desire, the intention of wanting to control it. And so may we be willing to yield to God, the one who provides for us through the gospel, his grace, his provision as we face the future. Your pastor and I were talking about our, our trips to the Holy Land. He went right before COVID, uh, I think early, late winter in 2020. And I I went the following year in 2021 and, uh, and was there. Um, it was an amazing thing, amazing trip. But the, one of the things we went to was the old city where we were on the Mount of Olives, and we're looking back over the valley toward the old city. Um, and I want to show you these couple pictures if you guys want to show them. The first picture would be, um, this is from outside of the gates, the eastern wall. This is the eastern gate, okay? Um, the next picture is from the inside on the Temple Mount, um, looking back toward the gates, and you can see a few prayer rugs there. Um, you had to be uh, a Muslim to be able to go down into this little well that was there. Um, and, and just to see the gate, that's significant, right? Do we all understand what the eastern gate is? That That's the entrance point of Jesus Christ, right, to his kingdom. Um, and so we're looking at this this gate, and, and I remember the, the pastor who was leading the trip, Brother Skelly, he said to us, it was a real windy day. We got out, took a few pictures, got back into the bus, and then he turned to us and he said the following words. Listen to this. He said, you guys and you gals, there were some ladies with as well, you're going to remember... When you were here the first time. The first time. What was he saying? That someday everybody on that bus that knows Jesus Christ is Savior and everybody else like him is someday coming back through that gate with Jesus Christ. Now, how do we all get through that gate? I don't know, okay? I just know he said we're going to. And we will be riding with him and we will be ruling and reigning with him. And here's the thought today. Think about this. If we know that in the future... Why is there so much anxiety ruling and reigning today in this room and in the homes represented starting with yours truly? We know the future. We know who controls the future. Rest in that. Something we do not know without the gospel of Jesus Christ. Is it all just spiritual? I'm not saying it is. But I think more of it is than we're often willing to acknowledge. And when we let the future shine its hope and peace and comfort into our lives, we can obey the command, be careful, be anxious for nothing. Because we know everything will be fulfilled through Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word today. Lord, this is not pie in the sky. This isn't tradition. This is not fairy tale. This is not just a hope kind of thing, hope so kind of thing that man has generated and Lord, everything that we have studied today has come directly from your word, your text, as revealed and preserved by your power and your spirit. And Father, I pray today that you would help your people to let the gospel not just save us in an eternal sense on a soul level from damnation and hell, but save us from ourselves, save us from our flesh, save us from our, our proclivity, our tendency to be fearful and timid, Lord, well, Lord, we should be faith-filled and confident. I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. And Lord, I pray for two groups of people in the room today. First, those in the room that may not know you as Savior. Lord, the fear they have about the future, the unknowns of what will await them on the other side of death. Lord, will never be, never be resolved until they repent of sin and receive the gospel the Jesus who came to die on a cross, to be buried, and then to be resurrected for the forgiveness of sin. I pray you would give them the boldness they need, the honesty they need, the humbleness they need to own their need and to accept the only solution that can meet that need, and that is Jesus and all that he's done. I pray for believers today that have tolerated and accepted a life defined by fear and anxiety, the Lord may have some physical roots and some psychological factors, but Lord, possibly much, if not all of it, is steeped in a fear that does not have to be there. Pray, Father, you would convince them it's worth it to surrender that to you, to go from being a warrior back to what you originally intended to be on guard, to be a warrior, to be a prayer warrior for you, seeking you, surrendering to you, and letting you give the hope and peace that only you can provide. Thank you, Lord, for bringing into the light not just our positive features or the things we're more comfortable talking about in these settings, but the deepest, darkest, most intangible parts of our souls, our minds, our hearts, and giving us the antidote, the answer of your gospel. Bless the pastor now as he leads the invitation. Move and work in hearts, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. I wonder